Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hey guys, welcome back. Another week, another show. Thank you so much for downloading and pressing play. We have a lot to get to this week. Guys, this may be episode 101, but it is in fact a continuation of last week's 100th episode anniversary celebration. And we heard from the Tutti Fruities last week. Those are my Patreon supporters. And we've got lots more to hear from the rest of the Tutti Fruities this week. So if you haven't listened to part one, that should already be in your podcatcher. Be sure you listen to that one first, and then hopefully this one will make a little bit more sense. So when last we left, David and Matthew, we went for a pee break. And that was a week-long pee break. I think we've probably relieved ourselves now, and we're ready to jump back on in with our analysis of Season 5, Episode 20, called Dream Marriage which had an original air date of February 22nd, 1984. Here we go with the exciting conclusion of my 100th episode extravaganza spectacular. Let's face the facts with Matthew Arder and the Tutti Fruities. Okay, three, two, one. Okay. We're back from commercial, David. Yes, we are, Matthew. And, oh, I meant to point out that when we fade out and fade back in, it fades to white before it fades to black. They are trying to really push this dreamlike, heavenly quality. And, uh, and I don't mind that, not at all. But remember, we left at the commercial break, we left Blair in a state of distress over what's happened to Joe? What's happened to Joe? And now we come back. And Blair is like, huh, I can't believe we're all together again. Isn't this wonderful? It's like, what, what just, okay, wow. Um, and this is when we learn that Tootie has just completed a run of a show. Where, Matthew? On Mars. On Mars, as in the other planet, Mars. Yeah. They have theaters up there, over and, there. And she had way too many Martian wall bangers. <laughs> Darling, because I'm in the theater and I drink. <laughs> but really, vaudevillian oh, oh. writers, a oh, Harvey Wallbanger. Mm -hmm. like, I know, 1920s. That, that <laughs> went out with button shoes. Um, and then here's a good one. Here's a great one. When she says she did the show, Blair says, Oh, did you do Our Town? Meaning what she last heard. And Tootie's response, this is verbatim. Goodness, no, dearie. I haven't done that since high school. Goodness, no, dearie. I'm 32 years old right now. It's like, really? It's again, that actory actor. But uh, just like James Brenlinger said, she spends a lot of time this episode shouting her lines. Mm, yeah. Like she's at a different level than everybody yeah. else. She's, she spends a lot of this season shouting her lines, yes. <laughs> Um, so then, uh, Mrs. G brings in some cocoa 
That's because later on, we're going to have a cocoa toast. You know, I love my toasts in sitcoms because they're so much like real life. So uh, while Mrs. Garrett is setting up the cocoa, um, they're talking about how did they spend the new year the night before. And we learn that Natalie spent a quiet new year with her husband, Paul. And his name is Paul Webster. So Natalie's, Natalie's name is now Natalie Green Webster. And she was with Paul on their mountain in Santa Fe. In with Santa Fe. <laughs> Come a- to Santa Fe if you're an artist, a nonconformist. Santa Fe. <laughs> if you like wearing uh, robes instead of pants. Come to Santa Fe. Uh, a little the cliche. Fucking dust. Uh. <laughs> what is the Harvey Firestein thing? It's like get a hose, hook it up to Colorado, and water the fucking place. Jesus. Everywhere you look, brown house, brown dirt, brown house, brown dirt, brown house, brown dirt. (laughs) But But I love um, that they made her from Santa Fe. It's such a hippie, dippy reference. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So so at this point, uh, as she's talking about her seven children and living in Santa Fe with her husband, Paul, uh, Natalie pulls out this device. It looks like a little alarm clock glued to like a pad like a like a hard eight and a half by 11 base right and she hands it to blair and says just press the button and blair presses a button and apparently there are pictures there this is kind of a a a proto ipad it seems yeah yeah the way you could electronically hand someone a device with pictures on it and um and she does mention in passing about how she had the kids and in what order. And after my fifth book was published, so we know that Natalie is a popular published author. Um, But to talk more about Natalie and her accomplishments, Matthew, I think we need to turn it over to Tutti Frutti, Paul P. Other people may know and recognize that as being Paul Padilla. Oh! former guest of the podcast. Paul did send in his words and his happy wishes, and I love it. Here they are. I have such great memories about Dream Marriage. One, growing up as a kid, it was truly one of my favorite episodes. I just loved everybody getting dressed up and seeing them older, seeing the set being a different color. It was to be in the future. It was pretty awesome. My funny little tidbit about this episode is I've mentioned on a previous uh, episode of the podcast with David that I have a prized possession in my life as an adult and as a child uh, was my signed glossy of Mindy Cohen that she sent to me when I sent her a fan letter as a child. And I remember when I received it back, it said, Paul, much happiness. And uh, we've talked about it before, but I just love this picture. When I saw this episode, maybe a couple of weeks after I received my awesome Paul Much Happiness photo, I was watching this episode and there's a scene where Mindy Cohen goes down all the list of her kids. At the very, very end, she said she, they celebrated the publishing of her latest book. And then she goes, and then along came Paul Jr. And she kind of winks. The audience laughs. In my mind, as a child, I thought that was a little shout out to me, that she probably got my wonderful note, sweet note from this kid and told the writers, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and just say Paul here as a little shout out to my friend, Paul. I truly believe that. So whenever I watch the episode, I would always kind of giggle. That's basically what stalkers are now, but 
as a kid, I thought it was great. Now, when I watch it, I always kind of snicker and get a little giggle because I actually believe she was sending me a signal um, just to say hi. Uh, but it's, it's, it's great, and I love the episode. Now, as a 45-year-old man, it is true, the moral of the story of the episode, or what Blair says is, being happy is a full-time job. Ain't that the truth? Happy 100th episode, David Almeida. I'm so grateful for you, and I'm so grateful that you have this podcast. It is so nice to know that there are other people out there that love the facts of life just as much as I did and do. And I am so excited to see what you have in store for us in the near future. Thank you, Paul. How sweet he, was that? Did he send any pictures or anything? With that? No. No, were you hoping to? Suddenly lost interest. <laughs> but I know nice. what Paul looks like. I was just hoping for maybe some dirty pictures. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, he's, we know he's listening, so Paul, um, you, I think you did, did I text Oh, I, Girl, he knows my DMs are open. Girl, <laughs> he knows. I, I don't think there's anyone that doesn't know your DMs are open, honey. Well, you, you can slide into my DMs any day. <laughs> girl. Well, I think that is so sweet to think that this little boy thought she's talking to me directly to me. Talk about connecting with your fans. Bravo, Mindy Cohn. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to, from now on, every time I see it, I will think that too. And I like that. I mm -hmm. like that. Me too. Good for him. Yes. And Paul, got to get you back on the show soon too. Now, at this point, because we're talking about Natalie's kids, Mrs. Garrett turns to Blair and says, Blair, how many kids do you and Cliff have? And Blair lies. And yeah. she's like, we have a, a girl and a boy. Yeah, that's the ticket. And I'm very, very happy. She reinforces Again, that. Sitcom lying. Yeah. Oh, so beyond unsubtle. But then the phone rings before Blair has the chance to poorly lie further. Uh, Mrs. Garrett has, like you say, a corded phone. Yeah. And, and it's turns, a flip phone, kind of. Like, like cell phones existed in 1984. You would think they, you know, I don't know. But they didn't just, flip. They were a big, gigantic field no, phone, right. you know, car phones and all that. Anyway, um, so it turns out there's trouble in Uganda. <laughs> and her and her response is, yes, Akumba, you say he stole your goat? Well, girls, I need to take this in the other room. She, she And she says she needs to be sitting in her translator module. So in the other room, she has a translator module to make sure that she can uh, fix other people's problems uh, in, in all parts of the globe. Bravo, Mrs. Garrett. So then Natalie hands Blair a copy of her latest book. And Blair says, a floppy disk. And Natalie says, I'm old school. I don't like those new book capsules that you swallow. Again. <laughs> and by the way, the floppy disk she hands Blair, it's an eight inch floppy disk. It's not a five and a quarter diskette. It's not a three and a half. It's an eight inch floppy disk it looked to me like a laser disc like around like a, a an, an album yeah. to me yeah or but like a laser picture disc yeah here's the thing though david mm -hmm. um 2000 is the year the usb flash drive was invented what so, 
up until 2000, things were still on a floppy disk. Jesus. They were just a different size. They were the three and a half. Yeah, yeah. the little ones with the hard cases on them. Yeah. Because I looked up, like, when did floppy disks, like, start to disappear? And it brought up the USB invented in 2000. And yeah, when, when the iMac came out, the, the, those crystalline colored iMacs, yeah. they didn't have a floppy drive in them. I don't nope. believe. And I remember looking at them thinking, what the fuck is wrong with you, Apple? How in the world are we going to get our files to each other? What, are we going to send them out through the air or something? Luckily, you could buy a CD, a, a, a disk drive to plug into your Mac. Yeah. But that's separate. That's Apple. extra money. Yeah. But the thing is, th those came out when email was starting to be a thing. When it was like, yeah. no, 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 you don't need floppy disks because that's just not going to be the way we transport files to each other. You and can swallow them in the future or read them <laughs> on, a, on a fucking floppy disk. And I have to say with that being brought up, I am a little disappointed in the right. Like when you have the opportunity to write a script that not only is a dream sequence, but a dream sequence in the future, your creativity, there is no limit to it. I know. And here we have the back computer and a corded <laughs> phone. And the best thing come up with is a pill you can, a book that you can swallow. Yeah. Like, come on. I yeah, was and, a little disappointed. And cordless phones existed. They were analog. They were antennas and the reception was awful. Yeah. But yeah, cord cordless phones, that was totally a thing in 1984, or at least the dawn of it was. You know? I would have been less upset if she had pulled out a cordless phone. And you remember how you used to have to lift the antenna out of it? Yes! Out of the cordless phone? <laughs> That's a bit. They could have totally made a great bit of Charlotte Ray broadly gesturing with the, yeah. futzing with the antenna. That's great. Even Donnie and Marie in the late 70s, you'll recall, their microphones, their handheld microphones were wireless. They had an antenna at the bottom of them and they didn't have wires and cords having to be kicked and futzed with. Yeah. And I remember thinking as a kid watching that going, Whoa. So then Blair tells us that Cliff is the world's number one heart cutter or, or chest cutter. Chest cutter. Chest cutter. Um, and then, well, what else, Blair? And she's like, um... I'm very, very happy. We're, we're going back to that. We're leaning in there. And then we hear this weird noise. This weird machine-like sound overtakes everything. And it's like, what the fuck is that? And it's Joe's rocket copter. Again, rocket copter is yeah. the best you could come up with. Not, not her helo hoverer, mm. not her, yeah. I mean, Star Wars was available. You could have, I mean, oh, she's got a spaceship or what? Well, I don't know. It's she just, could have beamed down like on Star yeah. Trek, the beaming process. Exactly. It's like, what the hell? They could have had like one of those tubes, like the human-sized tubes. There were then, no wrong answers here, writers. There were thank no you. wrong answers. Thank you. <laughs> and, and we've got Joe in a fucking rocket copter. Rocket copter right. that we never see. Um, so Blair says, ah, oh, Joe turned out to be a pilot, wouldn't you know it? And they're like, a pilot? <laughs> what are you talking about? And then in comes Joe. I don't even want to begin to discuss what Joe looks like because I want to let Tutti Fruity Michael B. kick it off for us. Please do. <laughs> this is Michael B. And I loved this episode of The Facts of Life because... 
the writers really thought that we as a society would be this advanced by the year 2000 with 2D performing on Mars, Natalie taking a book capsule, Joe in a rocket copter, and Mrs. Garrett literally not aging since 1984 at all. Also, we got to see Joe exactly as the audience has always perceived her to be, a lesbian in a pantsuit. And I also just love this episode because it's fun, it's different, we get to see into the future as if Edna's edibles never burn down. Michael, lesbian in a pantsuit. I mean, I don't think there's any more simple way to express what Joe looks like. And it never occurred to me that this was a future where they couldn't have known that Edna's edibles was going to burn down. Right, so this it is- didn't occur to me either. I totally didn't think of that. Thank you, Michael. And uh, to continue in this vein, because uh, the costumes obviously seem to be a recurring theme. You hear a lot of the Tutti Fruities talking about it. I want to also uh, let us hear the commentary from Tutti Fruity, known simply as DJ. My name is DJ, and these are my quick takes on the Dream Marriage episode. Here are the parts that I enjoyed the most. Natalie walking into the shop looking very bohemian, slightly aged, with some gray in her hair and a mature cadence in her voice. The audience reaction was good, and that braided hair was provided as a prop for her to play with a few times. Tootie walking in looking a little bit older, almost giving us a look at what Kim Field's living single character, Regine, would act like. And then we have a great audience reaction to Joe entering the shop. We get our first look at her with her hair down and a full beat. She looked great. And let's not forget that white power suit, Uh, Matthew, I need you to insert the diesel horn sound right now. I also want to take a moment to squeeze in what I think were the biggest audience reaction lines in the episode. First one being whenever Natalie tells Blair about having seven children and when she mentions the first two names, Ernest and Julio, I could not stop laughing. Then when Blair found out that Joe was a president of Warner Industries and Joe says without missing a beat and so nonchalant, no big deal. Thought that was hilarious as well. Finally, I just wanted to say I'm so happy that I found this podcast, and to David, Matthew, Paul, and every other person that co-hosted, thank you for the laughs from your seventh listener out of tens you have. And also, David, put your pants back on. DJ? DJ, you can slip into my DMs. (laughs) What? If you want me to wear pants, DJ, you're going to have to slide them on yourself over my cold, dead crotch. Heavens. But, oh my God, he he also picked up on just the idea of the lesbian power suit, how amazing Joe looks. Do you think, do you think we're going to get, do you think we should give him a diesel engine right now? I think, I think that definitely deserves one. I think okay, he- here we go. <laughs> yeah! Oh, yes. Good God. Her shoulder pads are fucking enormous. And she looks amazing. I'm like, she walks into that room 45 years old. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Remember, she's playing 35. In real life, Nancy McKeon is 17. She looks every day of 35. And I'm not saying that that's her fault or anything. It's just that's what the 80s were. But but she looks so mature. And um, we have. You know, her hair is down, and this isn't the first time we've seen her hair down, but before it was exaggerated. But the fact that we are seeing her now with 
they're saying a full beat. It really isn't like she is painted to filth. She no. is just wearing an appropriate amount of makeup to enhance her beauty. She is gorgeous. She is gorgeous. And I love that she, I love her acting choice in this. She is confident. She is comfortable. And she is a 35-year-old successful woman. Mm-hmm. I, Nancy McKeon, brava. Yeah. And, and a very emblematic thing of the 80s. This is when you started to see women in power suits and power positions during the big corporatization of the country during that. So this is so uh, pertinent and relevant and of the time. And yeah, it is a, it is a win out to the galaxies and stars and moons. All of the little nitpicky shit we're complaining about, it all is wiped away with this entrance and this portrayal and this look for Nancy McKeon. I, I don't think I will ever stop queening out about it. No, it's pretty, she looks pretty fucking fabulous. Yes, absolutely. So the big reveal when uh, Philip, her assistant comes in, a man runs in with some papers for her to sign and runs out. So she's got this little lackey um, played by an actor named Paul Tompkins, not to be confused with Paul F. Tompkins, the stand-up comic and actor of, of these times. This one doesn't really, he only has about a dozen credits and most of them are in the 80s. But the big, uh, on top of the big applause on Joe's entrance, on just how she looks, when he comes in and he throws down something in front of her and he says, the acquisition papers are ready for your signature, J.P., and the fact that they call her JP, like JP Morgan. But it's Joe Paul in the check. It's like that crushed. I have a question just off the record. Um, mm-hmm. Why did everybody laugh at Ernest and Julio? I did like. Ernest and Julio Gallo. That's a vineyard. They put out wine. Okay. Or, that was lost yeah. on me. So the big reveal, the big shocker, the probably deepest knife cut to Blair in this dream sequence is not only that Joe is this successful, powerful business executive, but it is revealed that Joe is the president of Warner Industries. And Blair's like, what? And she's like, but but why didn't, and Joe's like, yeah, your dad asked me to, to," and Blair's like, well, why didn't my father ask me to take over his company? And Joe says, we tried to reach you, but you were shopping at Neiman Marcus for three months. Ah, I don't know what there that, it that is. Like a wackety schmackety. So, um, yes. So then, um, so the papers that are put in front of Joe is that she is in the process of purchasing Calvin Klein, Gloria Vanderbilt, and Kawasaki. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. Those are all right. We we will give you that. Mr. Jerry Mayer, the writer. So Joe does sort of distractedly because she's got so much work to do. She's a busy lady. Joe does say, oh, so uh, hey, hey, Blair, well, what you been up to? And Mrs. Garrett, she's very, very happy. Have we driven that home yet? Have we, have we, have we milked that dead cow enough? No, that horse has not been beaten nearly enough. Yeah, Keisha, you missed it. Um, then Mrs. Garrett proposes a cocoa toast. And they do a toast like to our reunion, blah, blah, blah. And then Blair, for the first time in a long time, Matthew, says, I'm having one of my brilliant ideas. 
Yeah. He hasn't said that in forever. No. I was commenting weeks ago that we haven't heard any of their catchphrases, I don't think at all this season. Uh, so it was like, wow. But her brilliant idea is, let's all stay here at the house one more time. Let's stay in our old room. We can stay up all night and eat popcorn. And all of them are like, no, we're too busy. Joe is like, who has the time? And then Tootie says, I can't. I'm performing at the White House. Well, David, actually what she says is, well, I have a performance at the White House. <laughs> Jesus. And then someone says, shh, shh, Tootie, quiet. <laughs> and they say, you're performing for the president? And Tootie's response is, yes, she loves my work. And a 10-minute break of applause and laughter. People lost their fucking minds. <laughs> because it was the most hilariously ludicrous joke you could have ever put into a sitcom in 1984. Actually, Matthew, I would like to share with you what Tutti Frutti Lisa M. had to say about this moment in the show, if I may. Oh, please. Because I was thinking at this point, I was like, I was wondering what Lisa M. probably had to say about it. <laughs> well, good. Your, your prayers have been answered. <laughs> Hi, David. It's Lisa M. First, love your show. Found you when you had Ken Reed on, and I love that you follow a similar format, which makes your pod so easy to listen to and fun. As for this episode, I love the predictions about the future, like the rocket bike, the space travel, but especially the female president. I think it's great the writers had enough faith in us as a country to think we'd have a woman leading things by the year 2000, if only. More specifically, I credit the writers with a good portrayal of a young woman kind of at a crossroads, realizing that in order to move forward, she needs to step back a bit and experience a little bit more first. I think the costumers did a great job with their use of color in the future scene to make sure Blair really stood out as the lost in time character, and thought the ending was a little bit quick and rushed, but it's a half-hour show, so I think they wrapped things up without making the episode too much of a farce, considering it's a pretty serious topic. That's it. Keep doing what you're doing, and I'll keep listening. Happy 100. Thank you, Lisa. She's sweet. Yes. And uh, it is nice that they thought that a woman might be president by the year 2000. I'm going to give you one little further deep dive, if I may. Please do. Uh huh. This episode was taped uh, in February of 1984, early February, and it ran late February of 84. Correct. On July 12th of 1984, Walter Mondale chose his running mate for his presidential campaign against the incumbent, President Ronald Reagan, and he chose Geraldine Ferraro, who mm -hmm. was, in fact, the first woman ever to run on a presidential ticket on a major party ticket. We've had independence, but for, uh, for the Democratic Party, this was a big deal. But that had not yet happened at the show. All we knew was it was likely going to be Mondale chosen to be the candidate to run against Reagan. And uh, I think you said something earlier about the fact that, and it turned out to be one of the most disastrous, I mean, landslides against him because Reagan was so beloved at the time. I don't think that's so much to do with Geraldine Ferraro being on the ticket. No, like, no, I just, don't either. Like my dad has been a straight Democrat ticket since 1968 uh-huh every time just goes in straight democrat ticket and i said even in 84 <laughs> and he said um i remember him saying oh god nobody voted for mondale <laughs> <laughs> and he was right <laughs> yes i think he had five electoral votes five it was oh 
I, like I he don't won remember. Minnesota or something. Like, mm. yeah, there was, I don't recall there being any sense of it being in question whether Reagan would be reelected. It was a pretty much a foregone conclusion, really. And, uh, and I was pretty young at the time. I wasn't voting yet, but uh, anyhow, in response to Tootie saying that she's going to be performing at the White House, Blair quickly jumps in and says, oh, D Tootie, maybe I could be your set designer. Remember the palm trees I made for South Pacific? Which is true. That is canon. That happened. In response to that, Mrs. Garrett says, oh, look, Blair, I found your old sketchbook. And she hands it to Blair and they blow. But she pulls it out from under the table. Yeah. She pulls it but, out from under the table. And again, it's a dream. I get it's it. It's a dream. She could have just pulled it out of the air, but it just. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I fucking hear you. And then she hands Blair the, the book, and it's, of course, dusty. And she blows an inch of dust off of this sketchbook. Clearly, she has not touched it or had anything to do with it for quite some time. And to that end, I would like to present to you Tutti Frutti, Jonathan H., who has several thoughts about this sketchbook. Take oh, it yeah. away, Jonathan. Hey, this is Jonathan Hale, and for me, the most compelling part of the episode Dream Marriage is the tragedy of Blair's sketchbook, which pays off a thread that begins in season one in the episode Like Mother, Like Daughter, in which uh, Blair declares that she's going to be a painter just like her mother. And this continues into the episode Green-Eyed Monster, which is later, maybe season three or four, in which Blair is designing sets for the school play. And then later in the episode, Kids Can Be So Cruel, in which uh, Blair connects with her setup date by talking about art museums. And in the episode Different Drummer in season four, where Blair wants to be a miracle worker type figure by being an art tutor. And in the episode Best Sister in season four, I think Mrs. Garrett implies that Blair is going to be a studio art major and that this could be as controversial a choice as her sister becoming a nun. In season five, Blair's interest in art is winding down, but she still wants to letter the exit sign for Edna's edibles. And then in the episode Dream Marriage, her subconscious warns her that if she doesn't keep up with her art, all of her talents are going to go to waste. This happens when Tootie shows her her old sketchbook and tells her it's too late to develop her talents. And even after receiving that warning, Blair still doesn't keep up with her art. And that is the tragedy of Blair's sketchbook. Wow. Jonathan. Bravo. You are getting the slow clap from me. That was a deep dive worthy of my respect, holy shit. And I mean, just to, to build on that and how correct you are, remember she's drawing in the facts of life goes to Paris. It's how she meets that guy. It's the idea of like, oh, I'm in Paris and it's artsy and I'm a sketch person and I draw things. And this is all great and fine and dandy, but the fact that this episode, what it's all leading up to is Blair ignoring her own wants and her own talents, and then deciding to get back to her artistic roots, it doesn't pay off. They never do anything with it. She ends up pre-law in Langley. She ends up buying Eastland in the final season. And then after in the reunion movie, we know she continued with the law. She's a lawyer and married to a hotel mogul. So it's like, what? 
this has been a through line so sporadically of Blair being artsy fartsy, but they never really commit to it, even with this episode giving a sense that we are going to. Natalie's the writer, Tootie's the actress. We'll figure out Joe later and let's make Blair be the artist, like wanting to be the studio artist or, or even fashion designer or even trying to take it into that vein where it would be a natural progression to work at her dad's company and take over the place. Wow. You have feelings about that. I do, because in the Facts of Life cinematic universe, this, this wasn't a missed opportunity. This was an opportunity they occasionally hit and then abandoned. And yeah. that to me is worse than a missed opportunity. Yeah. Just saying. You don't have any feelings about this of your own? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Just because remember when I, in the Murder She Wrote episode, I'm never that person that's like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Or I think, you know what I mean? I, I, had to, I just took it. I just ate up what they were selling me, which was <laughs> that Blair was going to be a lawyer. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just took it. Yeah. And don't I forget, tend next to week, just take things, David. Yeah. You typically don't have feelings or responses <laughs> to things. You're, you're, you're such a taken in stride kind of a guy, you know? Yeah, just not about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't forget, next week, mother and daughter, that's when Joe starts talking about being an attorney, which I think is a great idea. I wish they had done that with Joe. Let Joe be the attorney. Blair could be the artist slash fashion person. And Tootie and Natalie, Tootie and Natalie's courses are clear, their paths are set, and they follow through with them uh, to my great happiness. But is Natalie a writer in the, in the mm-hmm. reunion movie? Yeah, she's a journalist, and then she has okay. moved up to being a producer for CNN or okay. one, of the, one of the cable news stations. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Blair shows the sketchbook to Joe. And says, look at this, Joe, remember I used to be an artsy person. Maybe I could come to work for you at Warner Industries, my dad's company. And Again, Joe, it's a dream, so Matthew, shut up. Go ahead. <laughs> Go and ahead. Joe looks at her and says, mm, that's nice, but what have you done lately? Come on, Blair, it's too late. And then Tootie says, well, yes, Blair, you did used to have some talent, but you never developed it. It's too late. And then Natalie says, sorry, Blair, it's too late. And then they all take off into separate corners and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Tootie literally goes and stands and stares at this non-existent window and fixes her, her headdress, mm. her scarf on her head, and literally does nothing. Yeah. And that's to set the stage for what is coming later. This is sort of the yes, wind but up. but they could have like made her pour herself some more cocoa. Or so- <laughs> Joe's over there writing on her pad. She's yeah. busy. She's doing She's something. She's doing a bit. Judy's like, I was directed to go stand here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So then we have this, it's too late. It's too late. Well, I think they're driving a little point home here, and I'm not sure what it is. Um, and then Blair, in starting to get desperate now, says, well, Mrs. Garrett, let me stay. Let me come back. Let me work here. I can go, go back to working for you. And Mrs. Garrett says, well, I have to see if L.C. approves. And she calls out to L.C. And she just says out loud, L.C., can Blair come work here? And the voice, that awful satanic digital voice goes, eh, it's too late. 
That's a terrible impression of it. But even the computer says it's too late. <laughs> the computer, which sounds like share in me. Do you believe in love at the love? <laughs> oh, the vocoder. Oh. The vocoder. By the way, shares believe 1998. That song is 22 years old. Yep. Yep. I watched um, Are You Being Served the other night. Mm-hmm. That's like 50 and- years old, isn't it? Well, it's from the 70s, like 70 to 78 or seven. No, it went from like 72 to 84. It went on too long. Okay. But I looked it up and Mr. Humphreys was 35 when that show started. <laughs> oh my God. Mrs. Slocum was like almost 40. <laughs> like, she, you watch that and she looks like she's 60. Oh my goodness. Bitch was just turning 40. <laughs> Fuck me. Well, this thing of Mrs. Garrett calling out to LC and asking about Blair working there, uh, this relates to a submission made by Tutti Frutti, Jennifer B. And uh, I would like to share with you what Jennifer had to say that happens to coincide with this moment. What's up, David and Matthew? This is Jennifer B. Uh, I'm just calling in with my thoughts on dream marriage. Uh, This was a really good episode. Uh, My main takeaway was I think that Mrs. Garrett invented Siri and, you know, it blew my mind. Thank you for all the hard work you do. Love the podcast. Bye. Short and sweet, Jennifer, my darling, you are right. The same way we now can be found in our houses, calling out to Siri and to Alexa and all that stuff. Elsie, she just called out and there it was. It was responding to her voice command. So good work with the writers uh, predicting the future there. The only difference between LC and my Siri is that LC actually understands Mrs. Garrett. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So uh, I have to go into another uh, submission from the Tutti Fruities to try to explain the next moment that is about to happen. After the buzzer says it is too late, we get into this sort of dreamlike, nightmarish pandemonium, it's too late, it's too late of the girls kind of swooping and hovering around Blair hauntingly, trying to drive home this, it's too late, it's too late, it's too late. And so uh, on that note, I would like to go straight to Tutti Fruity, Pam M, and share what she had to say about it. Hi, this is Pam, and here's why I love this episode. Natalie's braid. The computers in the year 2000 that somehow are huge and do not get me started on the ginormous floppy disk containing Natalie's book. Hilarious. Also, Mrs. Garrett sitting and staring at the audience or maybe the camera people waiting for her cue for the overlapping chorus of It's Too Late. I could not stop staring at her. It was crazy. Now, I hated this episode because why would Blair still want to be with Cliff when she literally could not dream of a life with him? She imagined a fabulous life for everyone else, but couldn't fathom being a whole person and Cliff's wife if he took her to Dallas. And here is why I love Let's Face the Facts. This is one of my all-time favorite shows, and your analysis and humor each week has been so much fun. I love reliving the episodes through your eyes. And thank you so much for putting this out there for us. 
Oh, Pam. I love Pam. Yes. And, and I love hearing everybody's like angles of it. Like it, it it's so interesting to hear how other people look at it. She's absolutely right. Now that like I I I didn't look at it like that at all of her mm. not even being able to see herself with happy with Cliff, you know? And yeah. Because I did dream. see, think felt like in a dream, she did seem real quick to leave her quote unquote two kids and husband. Like she did seem real, like, please take me out of this nightmare. This <laughs> is my life. Yeah, I need to be back here with the girls. The only time I was ever happy. Uh, but Pam's observation about that cue when Mrs. Garrett begins the overlapping, it's too late, it's too late that I just discussed. Did you notice that? How there is this sort of, Charlotte Ray looking off like, huh, what, go? Oh, oh, it's too late, it's too late. It's a delayed entrance, and it's like, you couldn't have fixed that in the editing? Did you notice it? No, I didn't notice it. So, with everybody milling around Blair, this big, crazy, massive confusion, this nightmarish overlapping thing, ends up dissolving to Blair, twisting and turning in her bed. No, no, it's not too late. No, no, no. Suddenly she's Scrooge on Christmas morning. <laughs> the one as big as me. <laughs> um, so Joe is waking up Blair. Blair's like, what? Stop, you're having a nightmare. And Blair wakes up and again, it's, it's 1984. And so Blair is, it's, she is doing a Scrooge like, oh my God, it's a, <sighs> and so she says, Judy, someday you'll be performing at the White House. And she says, Natalie, you're a marvel and I want to be just like you. And Natalie, beautifully deadpan, do you remember what she did? <laughs> she goes, that's nice. I'm just going to go take my turn in the shower. <laughs> She's so delightfully uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. Beautiful. And this is a great time to let Tutti Fruity Becky T tell us her thoughts about this very moment in the show. So I'm going to turn it over to Becky T now. Hey, this is Becky T. I love the facts of life and grew up watching the show, learned lots of lessons about integrity and friendship from it. That being said, I like dream marriage, but am not a big fan of dream episodes in general, so can't say I loved it. I like the future dream clothes, not Blair's, or Joe's red shirt. I didn't get that choice at all. But Natalie pulled off that look especially well. Natalie and Tootie's reactions to Blair after her dream cracked me up more than anything else in the episode. They were so sweet and delicate with their suddenly insane friend. It was very kind. And any time they go soft with their reactions, it makes me laugh. Love the podcast. Thanks and congratulations on 100 episodes. Thank you, Becky. I agree, so Bex. Mm-hmm. You, did you call her Bex? I did. We're close. <laughs> You're very close. Close personal friends. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, that moment when they're when they're genteel, when there's that sense of, I'm not sure you're sane. <laughs> so I, then I'm I gonna take for granted hear- what this is like for, for girls. Like I, I have to say, like hearing like how this She's talking about how she learned like integrity and stuff and about friendship. Like I was a boy watching it. So I took something completely different from this show mm. than, than a female would. And I mean, I know I've never walked in a woman's shoe. I have walked in women's shoes. But <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> I mean, I just think that's interesting. Like the, the female voices talking about this. Mm-hmm. I like it. like it a lot. 
Yeah, I love. I'm, I'm loving this. Hearing the the actual voices of the fans. This is this is thrilling to me. I'm so happy everybody uh, jumped in and, and joined in the fun and the party. Let's wrap this fucking show up, Jabez. Yes. <laughs> so then. Joe finally gets the carburetor fixed. And she says, good for you. You were born to fix carburetors. That's what you should do for the rest of your life. Remember that and stay away from my father's business. Because <laughs> Joe doesn't know what she's talking about and she's confused. <laughs> so then Mrs. Garrett comes in, <laughs> looking exactly like she did the night before, every hair in place, balloon knot tied tautly. Again, when I wake up in the morning, I look like the Loch Ness Monster crossing my apartment, naked, farting, and scratching my eyes to get to the toilet. <laughs> like, I just, all right, Mrs. G. Uh-huh. And then Blair says, Mrs. Garrett, may I use your shower? I've got a lot to do today. I'm going to sign up for summer art courses and choose some new electives. And Mrs. Garrett says, of course you can. And don't forget, you're meeting Cliff at seven. Even though she's just basically told you, I'm going to tell him no, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to go sign up for next year's classes. Yeah. So put two and two together, Mrs. Garrett. I won't be going to Dallas. Yeah. Well, none of them know, though. I mean, she's kept it from them. This is, I think, part of what is driving this being a nightmare dream sequence is that Blair is carrying the burden of this all on her own. She hasn't told any of them. Okay, because Mrs. Garrett kind of says, like, in a knowing way, yeah. don't forget you've got that meeting with... <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I will agree. I will agree. There is some sense of knowledge on the part of Mrs. Garrett, but there is nothing in this episode that indicates she went to Mrs. Garrett for advice. In fact, she's been on the phone with her mother all afternoon right. from what we gather. Well, you're right, you're right. So uh, maybe, could be, I don't know. But um, then we go to the living room and like you said, it's obvious she's gonna say no. Blair and Cliff are kissing and um, we are already past the conversation where she has turned him down. So that is a, and that was a hard kiss too. Like, mm -hmm. like we just saw them kiss like that last week at the star at Langley. And now they're, Oh, pretty <laughs> intense kiss for facts of life. I felt what a whore. <laughs> I, didn't but, say uh, that, <laughs> I don't Blair Warner. <laughs> that's Blair Warner. That's the equivalent of going all the way. I guess I'm not Kissing. mad at her. I mean, look at him. But <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh -uh. So she does explain to him that she had a dream and that she had no idea. And, and, and some good wording here. Now some good writing. I realized I had no idea who I was or what I wanted. And I can't be a good wife until I know more about myself. Brava. Lesson learned and stated beautifully. So he does say, she does say they'll keep writing, they'll call, they'll keep in touch. And then oddly, he says, then we're still going together? And she says, absolutely. And I'm like, didn't you just last week want freedom and doesn't this give it but, I, but, hmm. Very but she confusing. realized at the end she realized at the end of the episode last week that she wanted to be committed to him didn't mm -hmm. she so i guess but at the same time 
it's they could at least say, well, we're on a break. We can fuck other people, you know. But um, but you know what? Don't take it from me, Matthew. Take mm. it from Tutti Fruity, Brian F., who sent in his thoughts. And uh, I think he makes some very good points. Let's let's listen to Brian. Hey, I'm Brian, and I am an avid Facts of Life fan. I've been a fan since the early 80s when they were rerunning it. My recollections of this are 2000 seems so far away. It's crazy when this episode aired, and it was just so long away, and now it was 20 years ago. That's kind of weird to think about. It was neat to see some of the future predictions. Um, I laugh at some of them, of course, but yeah, I mean, you could now just sit at your computer at home and give advice around the world easily and um, solving problems like Mrs. Garrett did and the future products like Natalie showing her the her family photos on just this device. I mean, now we're much smaller, of course, but no, 2000, hey, you may have had that. Um, but that almost was unheard of. I really like the relationship of Cliff and Blair, and it was probably too early to have her go into a serious relationship, but I really, really did like that. And, um, you know, I wish maybe they brought him back later on because I really do think they're right for each other. David, congratulations on 100 episodes of this. This is great. It's my guilty pleasure on Wednesdays to listen to you. Brian, thank you so much for those observations. And I agree with you. I would have kind of liked it if we had gone further with it. And when they bring him back in uh, Cupid's Revenge in season eight, there's this weird moment where, because Blair is already going to a dance with someone else, he asks Joe. And then at the last minute, Blair ends up without a date and Joe does the right broad thing and says, well, you guys go together. And Joe actually goes with Roy in order to free up Cliff so he and Blair could be together because you do get the sense from her too that she's like, yeah, they belong together. I love how goofy he is. I love how he doesn't take himself very seriously. I think he's a good match for her. Uh, in the same way that episode brought Jeff back into our lives, back to Tootie, and they stick it out for the long haul after that. I would have kind of liked it if uh, we could have had more of Cliff either this season or later on. What do you think? I would have been perfectly happy with her ending up with Cliff, like making him a more part of the show. I liked him. Yeah. And I was trying to think why they wouldn't have considered bringing him back for the reunion movie. Yeah. I was wondering why she didn't marry him. And the only thing I can think of is uh, the Tad Warner thing. Yeah. He's, he's a hotel mogul. And so they've opened a hotel in Peekskill. So that builds in the location where most of the movie is going to take place. Yeah. Because where else would it take place? They can't go stay in the dorms. Clearly Edna's Edibles is long gone. There's a sense of, well, okay, the Facts of Life reunion, where do you have a Facts of Life reunion? So uh, I guess that's, that served a, a mechanical purpose in the plotting, but wouldn't have been so nice considering Jeff is dead. Clearly Snake is out of the picture and Natalie is fighting over is having two new hot guys fighting over her. They couldn't get, not only could they not get Nancy McKeon, they couldn't get the actor who played Rick Bonner, her husband, in season nine. So we have a different actor playing Joe's husband. And then for Blair- Where was Peppa? <laughs> where, was, where was Beverly Ann? I think they should have brought her back. Or Jerry, cousin fucking Jerry. And why didn't, um, instead of Joe- they could have had um, what's her pussy that you love so much, Kelly. Yeah, Kelly could, could have come back and they, they could have just yeah, that. given her Joe's lines. It wouldn't have even had to rewrite the fucking script. 
<laughs> but yes. So back to the scene to finish out the show and then finish out uh, the the 2D fruity contributions. Uh, they're they're like, okay, we are square. We are still illogically still together as you are about to move away, possibly permanently. So. He says, well, let's get ready. Want to go to breakfast? And Blair says, yeah, I'm starving. And he says, ah, it's too bad. It's almost nine. So it's too late for the early bird special. And what does Blair say, Matthew? It's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> oh. <sighs> Anyhow, there it is. So I have spoken my piece on this Blair-Cliff relationship thing, but you know who else has some thoughts on the Blair-Cliff relationship, Matthew? Who else has thoughts on the Blair-Cliff relationship, David? Tutti Frutti, Michelle B. And here she is. Mm. Hi, David. This is Michelle B., one of your first and most devoted Patreon supporters. I loved this episode, Dream Marriage, for a couple of reasons. First, hello, it's season five, Edna's Edibles. And I, just like that delicious and devilish Matthew Otter, love all things season five. From the quiche to the croissants to the drugs that they're selling out back, I love it all. Second, it appeals to my sense of whimsy because it's a dream sequence. And we know from watching Facts of Life that you can go anywhere in a dream sequence. We can go to a truck stop with Natalie, or we can go to the future with Fabian. Or my very favorite episode, season eight, episode 12, Seven Little Indians. Cannot wait to get there, David. And the third reason I like it is because it's the year 2000. And we have the luxury of looking back at something that they're looking forward to. We know there's not going to be rocket copters, books on disc, Maybe. I don't think you're going to have much to send back to the writers in the, in the uh, time capsule, David. But anyway, turn it over in your head that the year 2000 was 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. We feel old, don't we? The only observation I have is that for a serious relationship with Cliff, he came and went really abruptly. Woody Brown, who played him, is only in five episodes. And it was sporadic episodes. There was no arc to this relationship. The last time we see him, he's literally slopping pigs with Blair in Iowa. And then he's gone. What a way to go. Anyway, overall, I loved it. Because in the dream, she saw that they all moved forward and she stayed the same. And we saw some real growth in Blair at the end. The dream woke her up. And we all learned another fact of life from those Vaudevillian writers, David. (laughs) I love Michelle B. She called you delicious and devilish. Well, clearly she has cataracts. But (laughs) what... Another one of my favorite episodes is Seven Little Indians. It's mm-hmm. so good. Yes. And she is so correct about Edna's Edibles, David. Get on the Edna's Edibles train, David. It is a better series now. Uh, is it? I don't know. Hmm. I'm not sure. I think the jury, we're, season five is winding down and I'm, just, I'm thinking the jury's still out here. Season nine, you're going to be longing for Edna's Edibles. <laughs> all right? Uh, that, that I do believe. I absolutely do believe. Well, Oh, David, we have done it again. We've successfully talked for two and a half hours about a 23-minute television show. <laughs> we have. And Matthew, we are not done yet. <laughs> Holy fuckballs. <laughs> what else well, can there be? No, we have one more Tootie Fruity who weighed in and had some very sweet things to say. So I'd like to close the show. Mm -hmm. with these parting words from Marion H. Hi, David. It's your favorite Canadian Patreon, Marion Marshall Hardy. 
and I am just uh, wanting to let you know that I did my homework. I watched the episode. I don't have a lot to say on it, but I just wanted to uh, let you and especially Matthew Arter know how much this has helped me uh, cope with the pandemic. I have so many laughs when I listen to you guys. I think it's just great. I don't know if when I watch this as a younger person, did I cringe like I do now? I don't know. But anyways, thank you for putting out an awesome podcast. And um, I love all the extras as well. And uh, just find some better movies because I'm not sitting through any more Mouseketeer movies. Okay. Thanks so much, you guys. You're the best. And keep on doing what you're doing. Love you. <laughs> Ah, I don't blame you at all, my darling, oh, yeah. for not wanting to sit through any more Mouseketeer shit. No, thankfully, <laughs> there's no more to sit through. We will not subject you to Oof. that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. But uh, how sweet. Very from, sweet. From Marion and from everybody, from all of the, the Tutti Fruities who submitted these, who wanted to be a part of this. I knew I wanted to do something special for my 100th episode. And, uh, and you guys delivered. You guys joined in. And uh, it makes me so happy to have been able to include you and make this episode super duper extra special. I loved hearing from them, but I loved especially the ones that mentioned me. I thought it was very <laughs> sweet. <laughs> I, I, so those well, are the ones I mainly paid attention to. I'm kidding. I'm a kidder. <laughs> no, it was well, very cool to hear other people's opinions. I, I agree. It was, it was really fun because there were perspectives here that I never thought of. And Truly. I, I typically don't like to consider anyone's thoughts other than my own. And mm -hmm. uh, this was an interesting exercise in uh, battling my own inner narcissist. So uh, I... Well done. Yeah, thank you. I think yeah. I was successful and I'm patting myself on the back yeah. <laughs> for it. But honestly, as Marion just said, she said this show helped her get through the pandemic as just, you know, a thing that brings her joy and enjoyment. I have to say, this show has helped me get through the pandemic. I do not know what I would be doing with myself if I didn't know that I had this creative project on my plate to create and produce and deliver every single week. It was already a labor of love, but now it's, it is a labor of love where I am so happy to have it there. And so that's why I'm just so thankful for the Tutti Fruities and for everybody who listens to the show. I really didn't think anybody would be listening, but to hear the voices of people actually saying that they listen, that they're not just an idea anymore. And Matthew, where would I be if I didn't have you? You have contributed so much to this show. I hope I give you all the props that are coming to you for being the bestest guest, the mostest entertainingest guest. And Aww. I always love having you on the show. And I cannot wait till we do this again. Why you got to make me cry right before we end? <laughs> Why you got to do that? It's like my love life. The other person's always crying before we're done. It's, yeah. It, yeah. I'll yeah. see you next time. Yes, I will see you next time. Smooch is right. my darling. And to all my Tutti Fruities and to all of my listeners, the biggest of all the smooches. And I'm sending you all my love. Goodbye. And there you have it. That was Matthew Arter and the Tutti Fruities. And the second half of my 100th episode, Spectacular. I am so 
happy with how this turned out. I am so thrilled to have gotten to hear the voices of the Tutti Fruities and hearing all of their well wishes. is It just warms my heart. Thank you so much, guys, again, from the bottom of my heart for listening and supporting the show. Now, I do have a few extra things that I wanted to comment on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the irony that I told my Tutti Fruities to limit the length of their response, and I still can't say everything that I need to say in uh, two hours and ten minutes, but <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, just number one. The fact that Tootie was rehearsing Our Town, and Blair refers to it later, that's a Thornton Wilder play. We talk about the Thornton Wilder moments all the time on the show with the long, languid pauses before we fade to commercial or dissolve to the next scene. So uh, the facts of life may be catching on to uh, my suggestions and references. Just saying. Secondly is when Mrs. Garrett misses her cue before the it's too late, it's too late. I, I talk about that this week. In fact, I was wrong. The moment when that happens was in the first half of the episode. So last week's podcast, it is right after Blair in distress says, tell me, tell me what's happened to Joe. And then Mrs. Garrett and Tootie and Natalie all start futzing and fawning and oh, it's so great to see you and blah, 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 and ignore Blair to create more distress in her. That is the point when Charlotte Ray was late for her cue or she was looking at Lisa Welchel when she should have been looking at the others and it was easily fixed in the editing. So could have been tweaked, but uh, it was not to be. But I uh, just wanted to point out that um, that's an incorrect reference I made in this episode. And finally, I was made aware through the course of this episode and I, I cut it out because my confusion was so uh, infuriating because somehow, somewhere, in my stupid brain, I had it that this was the last time we saw Cliff. If you exclude Cupid's Revenge in Season 8, when he makes one additional later appearance. But I'm wrong. He's back. Season 6, Episode 1, when Blair goes out to Iowa to spend time with him on the farm. And I can't believe I forgot that, or I missed it when I was looking at the IMDb page. Anyway... I just want to assure you, I now understand what is going on, and I do not know how many incorrect references I've made over the last few weeks with these Cliff episodes, but um, I have been properly educated. We know that Cliff comes back one more time, so there it is. Mia culpa, mia maxima, maxima culpa. Lastly, I just want to say thank you again. I, I feel like I've said it a hundred times and I want to say it a hundred times more because when I started doing this show, I really thought it was just going to be a little silly project just for me and I really didn't think anybody would listen or care. So the fact that you are tuned in, if you can hear my voice right now, I so appreciate you've given me your time. I'm really, really honored that you feel this is worthy of your listening and uh, I really do appreciate the Tutti Fruities who uh, provide both financial support in addition to the emotional support. So it's been a great ride for these last 100 episodes. You know, I have 101 to go, plus a couple of TV movies. So these two years, uh, we still have a couple more to go. I'm going to be here, and I hope you'll still be listening. So next week, get ready. 
We're going to be watching Season 5, Episode 21, Mother and Daughter. And I'm going to be joined by my awesome, super talented actress friend, direct from Los Angeles via Zoom, Michelle Sims. You can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. I will be posting a link in the show notes, and you can also find it on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>